0: So for any of you, any of you for whom this is your first retreat, we know that's a, a pretty good percentage of the people here who may have been anxious or worried. Maybe, you know, can I do it? What's it going to be like? Well, congratulations, you have almost made it to the end of the first day. And of course, it's been a mix today, the morning of really more intensive, formal Mindfulness practices, and then the afternoon, the interactive sessions. Um, I invite you to reflect back to your experience this morning. Although what I'm going to talk about may be uh, apply to you know the afternoon or any time today for you, and just think back how that was for you. This is very interesting when you reflect that we we in the simple form that we're offering. You know, you come to a place like Spirit Rock, it's beautiful, the land is beautiful. I, I, I love the just the, the architecture of the buildings. So I, I find when I come here, I just, something relaxes in me and my mind feels spacious and good. They feed you, you don't have to worry about that. We encourage you to find any way of being so that your body can be as comfortable as possible. So you can just do whatever it is that maximizes your comfort. You don't have to make anything happen. All we're inviting you to do is to uh, sit or lie down or be in some way quietly just to be mindfully present with yourself. Sounds simple. And then we get to see how, at least sometimes, how difficult that can be just to sit and be present with ourselves. And... um Sometimes it can be quite, um, shocking might be a strong word, but it really uh, grabs our attention when we start to realize how you know, our, our minds can be out of control and that I can't even sit still with myself. And uh, for some of us, uh, it may have been struggles with physical pain in the body. Um, I know that's true from talking to a few people. Um, for some people here, sometimes psychological, emotional things come roaring up we may have come into, come to spirit rock, bringing things from our daily lives into the retreat with us. And so of course they, they, they come along with us. So maybe some things are, are up for us around that, or perhaps challenges that are coming up just from being here, all kinds of different challenges here. Um, It's a great opportunity uh, to even though it's not always so pleasant, although uh, Diana said a little bit about how this practice, as it progresses, can be very pleasant. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're, we're sitting and wondering, like, you know, I remember sitting on retreats myself, and, um, you know, really, I, I won't say how, I'll, I'll tone the language down a little, but basically my mind was saying, ring the bell. <laughs> There were a few more adjectives in there that I won't share, uh, <laughs> out of politeness. Right, and and do you remember this morning? For those of you who are in the sit, I I asked you to notice if for for those of you who are having a difficult time when the bell rings, what can happen sometimes is uh, uh, you haven't even moved, nothing's happened. You know, you just hear you're sitting there, struggling, struggling. Ah nothing 's changed except just the sound it 's a wonderful place if that ever happens you to notice how much of your suffering has been created in your own mind, so we 're having so many opportunities and then the the reverse can happen um, uh, the practice can become very pleasant when we really start deepening and the mind gets more settled and quiet and then we have the opposite please don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell because we want to hold on to the pleasant. So we're learning so much about how the mind's, you know, pushing away these unpleasant experiences, how it's, just as human beings, it's what we do, holding on to pleasant. Eventually, you know, we're all faced with challenges of life. Every one of us know that and um you know here we are in a buddhist center and of course what we're doing here isn't isn't a buddhist practice we're taking some of these practices of mindfulness but it's really a it's completely secular of how we apply this in ways that we all know uh have a great benefit and effect but being in a buddhist center i think it's okay to 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 say that in the Buddhist world, if any of you are familiar with it, you know it's often talked. You know, Buddha talks a lot about suffering and the difficulties that can happen. My feeling is we don't actually need the Buddha to tell us about suffering and challenges. You know, we're we're all experts. What we're not so expert on is what to do. And I want to talk. That's where we can use a little help, perhaps. And I want to talk tonight about uh, give some few suggestions on different ways of dealing with challenges and difficulties that can come up both in the formal retreat context and in our lives. And in particular, because of the theme of this retreat that applies also to our work situations, whether it's working with our colleagues or, or administrators or students who are challenging, uh, you know, parents or family members of students and all that. So I want to say some things about that tonight in particular. Um, the first thing to say uh, is that if, there's to be, if we're going to have any possibility of working skillfully, working well with any kind of challenges or difficulties, um, it rests upon the foundation of mindfulness. There's just no question about that. And of course this retreat is mindfulness for educators or in education. So, uh, you know, we're emphasizing mindfulness, mindfulness. Uh, Diana offered last night her a definition of mindfulness. I'd off- like to offer um, another definition. It's just it's a little more simple, which is simply mindfulness to me is not being on automatic pilot. Sometimes people say when we lose mindfulness you'll hear people use phrases like well you've become you went to sleep or you bec- you went unconscious you lost awareness but you're not asleep i mean we understand what they mean but when we think about it, we're not asleep we're not unconscious we're just lost in things we're caught up in things we're still having the experience And so let me ask you a question. uh, Think back to the meditation instructions today. What's the meditation instruction we've been given? You know, we talk about being with your breathing or some other... We talk about sound, a little other things you can work with as sort of the the main uh, home base or foundational practice. Of course, we're going to expand the instructions over the course of the retreat. What's the instruction we've given when you're supposed to be with your breath and then you forget... And your mind's wandered away, um, you know, and you're lost off in thinking. Anybody want to say what's the instruction? Come back to the breath, Come back to the breath right? Thank you. It, that was actually a trick question. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's what we're going to say. So thank you for that. Uh, when you're lost and gone, uh, there actually is no instruction. You don't even know you're gone, right? The instruction only kicks in once you've already come back or woken up, if you will. You've gone off automatic pilot and you're back, then you actually have some choice and you can and come back. Other Until then, you don't ha- really have any choice. You're just gone and in it, right? And so it's the same for anything that we want to approach and work with skillfully and well. If we want to have some freedom, if we want to have some choice, I should say, we need to be aware. We need to be uh, back and present, not lost and caught up in things in order to um, um, have, be able to make some choices. And so, of course, we're going to, um, you know, really all bets are off when, when, when you do get lost and you've lost your mindfulness. Then for any given situation, what is it that's going to happen? depending on what actually happens, the experience, whether it's something internally in your body or your mind or an interaction with other people or another situation, you'll just respond or perhaps react dependent upon what's going on and just the condition patterns of how your mind works. And so we don't worry about that. I mean, hopefully, you know... uh, Our minds are such that we don't cause too much suffering for ourselves and others during those times. But we all know, we've all had times when we get reactive, we're not mindful, and we just habitually respond in some way. And then later it may be like, oh, gee, that wasn't the best. And we want to try to clean it up in some way. So these practices that we're learning work in a number of different ways one of the things that mindfulness practice does is over time it starts to change the habitual patterns of our minds so that even during the times when we are on automatic pilot the ways that we uh interact naturally uh are more have a better result or more skillful we're less uh, reactive anyway, even if we're just caught up in things. So that's one benefit. I'm not going to talk too much about that tonight, but it's an important aspect that happens just by doing the practice because these practices have a cleansing or purification, if I can use that term, quality to them. Right? Just sitting and being present with yourself through all the ups and downs, the joys and the sorrows, the, the great pleasures and the real challenges and difficulties, it shifts something our ability to work with things, even if they're not always to our liking, deepens. Right? And so that's an important part of uh, what happens in the mindfulness practice. There's some other things I'm going to uh, mention in a, in a bit. And so as I start to give you some of these uh, suggestions on how to work, um, uh, Sometimes there's two aspects that I want to highlight in each of these things. One that I'll name one is that um, sometimes what's needed in a situation, all that's needed is the mindfulness itself is enough. Just being aware of something. And I bet just look into your own lives, there's probably been times where. Just by becoming aware of something was enough enough, and there was something let go around it, we stopped struggling, we knew the right way just once we became aware. It's like, oh, see that? We didn't need much else. Mindfulness itself was enough. There are many other situations in which uh, the mindfulness is important. We need to be aware, so that's always an ingredient. But it's not enough. It's the beginning step, and then we may need a lot of other... um, skillful action that may be needed to, to deal with something in ourselves or something with uh, with others and i want to name just a few of 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 those so the first piece is it may i, I want to um the first you know we're we're, we're speaking the way we're speaking is if uh, really the the foundation of everything we're doing is mindfulness but i actually want to offer Um, I feel like there's something uh, more foundational than mindfulness. This is just me speaking. So others may have a different take on it. Um, And that's uh, self-compassion. And I say that, um, mostly I'm going to be speaking about mindfulness in this talk, but I just want to say a few words about self-compassion. And it's so important because if, if, You know, it's so easy for us to have our own self-criticism or judgments or we're comparing ourselves and finding everything that's wrong and some of us, for some of us, our minds are more prone to that than others. So even when we undertake something that's wholesome and beautiful like uh, mindfulness practice, for our own practice and learning to apply mindfulness and teach it to others for the, for the benefit of others. Um, if, we, if we don't come from a place that's kind to ourselves, caring and compassionate to ourselves, that judging or critical quality can seep in even to the undertaking of something that's quite, quite um, like a, a beautiful thing. And so it can come in. For example, if we come on retreat, and one of the things that I've always found interesting, and I've I'm just been susceptible to this too, is you know I remember my early retreats when I first started practicing, sitting there, and you know, you know I just was I started when I was 18 years old, and you know more than 40 years ago, and um, you know I was young and naive, and I looked around. And everybody from the outside they just looked like these perfect you know Buddhas sitting there, and I remember thinking you know, look at them all everybody's blissed out, but me, everybody's, you know, they can come and they can meditate and their minds are still and quiet or they're mindful or whatever I thought was going to happen in meditation. And I had a lot of self judgments about myself somehow expecting that. I, I don't know why I thought, you know, my mind wasn't trained. What did I think, you know, I should, you know, if, if I was coming in to learn, I don't know, to sit down and play the piano, I'm using that as an example because I don't play the piano. I wouldn't have any expectation to have any skill. I wouldn't beat myself up over it because I'm clumsy and I'm just learning. But somehow it, it can happen. For, it's more common than you may think. People come in and, and you know, they're struggling and because they, and, 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 and they can't do it or they're judging themselves in some way or they see every place they fall short. And so bringing in what the self-compassion, uh, and we do the best we can with it. You don't, the good news is you don't have to actually have any skill with any of this. You don't have to be any good at mindfulness practice. You don't have to even know how to be compassionate for yourself. It's just a wonderful thing that it seems to be the way that the world and human beings work. It's, it sounds like kind of just a platitude to say, you know, however you are is good enough, but it's actually true and it's really good news. The whole package of who we are is enough. And then our job is just to get in touch with our good intentions and aspirations. And then the best we can learn some skills and techniques that can help support us to move in that direction. And things shift and change. It may not happen quickly. Some things do, some don't. But we really, you know, in whatever way we apply ourselves, those are the things, those are the qualities that strengthen and grow in us. And if we can keep that in mind then even if we don't know how to be kind to ourselves or this idea of self-compassion even though we may understand what the words mean it may be so foreign and and i know for a fact in a room this size just through experience um if you're one of the people who are just like i have no idea how i would even begin with that well you're not alone and that can be worked with and that's somebody come talk to me Uh, go talk to Donald Rothberg over there, find some of these, any of these teachers, you know, find people uh, uh, to work with and there's ways we can do and move forward in a good direction. Doing the best we can with that then, I'll offer another tip or strategy. And that's to know... um, we have to recognize that there are some experiences that we'll be able to find a way to work with and there'll be other experiences that we have to acknowledge maybe beyond our capacity to deal with. And that's on retreat. And that's also in our daily lives in our personal lives and in our work environments. And so thinking of it in terms of being here on retreat, when we're doing these formal practices and say you're sitting in meditation, if we always moved our bodies every time we had the slightest discomfort, um, we we never learn how to be present with something that might be uncomfortable. We never learn how to, to be with it, to bring the mindfulness just to work with it and not be caught in reactivity. So it can serve us well to learn how to sit more still and really just connect with our experience and then get to see how our minds work around us. That can be helpful. And there are times when what's going on is either the quality of what's happening or the strength of what's happening is such that we do need to make a shift. We do, we, we're not able to let go of the struggle around it. And then it's time to stretch out our leg or stand up or, you know, what all, this, all these other techniques we use. So it's, there's not just one answer to a, approaching any situation. We have to recognize, and so this comes, it's really the art of knowing You know, when can I really work with something and really be present with it? And when do I need to get a break or to get away? You know, and it's not always clear. And so we make our best assessment if we need to do that. And of course, that depends on having the mindfulness so we don't get caught in the reactivity. We've actually got to lift out of that and step back and say, wait a minute, let me just connect with this. So we have to remember to do that. And so on retreat, if we find that we're struggling, you know, sometimes all it needs is someone to say, oh, you're struggling. It's like, oh, yeah, right? And then we can stop and look and see. And then it's like, well, what do I think is needed? Oh, I can work with this. Or, you know, that's too much. Okay. Think into either your personal life, or I'm thinking because uh, a lot of education uh, professionals are here. Just think in your work life. If we want to be able to bring mindfulness uh, it's not only the part of, of teaching uh, kids of all ages mindfulness, but how we can hold, bring our mindful presence. Uh, and Diana's going to do a whole piece tomorrow afternoon around working with mindful presence. If we want to be able to do that, well, we have to have the mindful awareness then and really look what's actually happening in the moment. right? And we need to be able to say uh, what's happening in this classroom, say for example, or with this particular child or with a co-worker or an administrator or a parent or whatever it is, bringing the mindfulness, feeling what's happening in our bodies, bringing all the skills we have, and staying in touch with our intention and hopefully we all have an intention to act skillfully in a way that's helpful and useful and not be reactive even in difficult places. To really serve and help the kids that really we don't like. Or the coworkers that, you know, it's like, I don't want to see that person. And that's really our truth. I have an aspiration in my life, this is a real aspiration I have, uh, to live in a way so that uh, no, my heart never closes off to to anyone. That's a real aspiration I have. Um, And of course I have uh, lots of opportunities. Um, (laughs) Actually wasn't going for a laugh there, but if we were laughing, (laughs) uh, lots of opportunities to see where work needs to be done. You know, we're all human beings, you know, I'm not gonna, and, and I can get angry and or have people I don't like or whatever it is, just like we all can. But because I know that's my real intention or aspiration, you know, it's easy. And didn't you did some Metta practice in the last sit, some loving kindness practice for those in the sit. Well, you know, it's easy to, you know, to have met, to have loving kindness for all beings. But then when we get around actual beings, uh, those pesky people, uh, into real individuals, sometimes it's not so easy. That's all right. That's giving us information. So we're, we're, if, if we can stay in touch with our intention and then know, uh, instead of just going with our habitual, unconscious, unmindful reaction, know, oh, wait a minute, Nope. I really want to actually be able to be in whatever your own intention is. I'm just sharing mine is to be really open and present and to see the good in this, you know, whatever, this kid who's driving, been driving me nuts or whatever, uh, or this coworker, right? We remember the best we can about our intention. So it's, it will serve us well to take time if you haven't done so to really reflect on what are your aspirations and how you, who you want to be and how you want to live. What are your intentions? And we could do a whole process around that, but I'll just encourage you to just reflect on that and kind of get in touch the best you can. You may, it may or may not be clear. Let, keep that in mind, reflect on it daily. So we've got it there because it's, it's easy. When our hearts are open, it's not a problem. Our hearts are open. Where it gets interesting is when you don't wanna be kind to people, if, or you don't wanna be whatever it was that your intention was right? And you really want to whatever, really let them have it or really whatever. And the energy is strong. We want to remember our intention. Let it be an anchor for us. It's like a stake in the ground that we hold on to, right? Or it's like, you know, I have this image of, I don't know if they really did this in the old whaling ships, you know, and if there was the storm coming, you know, they'd lash you to the mast so that the waves can't, you know, the storm can't, the storm's there. You feel it. You experience it, but it doesn't wash you away. That's what our intention can be for us. It's that anchor. Right? And so we bring all of those all those skills in: the mindfulness, our intention, the practice that we've developed. So we don't. You know, the more we do this, the better we're at it. Are at it, and then we have to come to know through experience. Is this situation one that I can really work with? Or you know what? Is it really too much? You know? I'm not able to respond to what this coworker said to me right now in a skillful way. Because if I open my mouth, it ain't going to be good. So then, if you have the mindfulness to do it, what do you do? I don't know. Maybe you step away. You say... Be back in a minute, <laughs> or whatever it is, or you come back the next day or whatever, and you, and you let the intensity come down, or you process it in some way, and then you come back in a way where you can and you, you may still need to you know do what, say whatever you need to say, but with, but in a way where you can be more skillful and kind, so knowing our limitations is very, very important, uh, and there 's nothing wrong because we 've all got them, so in the retreat context, and when we 're trying to bring mindfulness. And with kids, so that's one thing. Another thing I'd like to offer is, this may seem counterintuitive, but um, I hope you'll reflect on it a little bit. Um, Not judging our situations by how pleasant or unpleasant it is or how much it fits our own agenda. And what I mean by that is, um, when you, so we'll first talk in the, in the retreat context and then bring it back into, into maybe a work environment type situation in the context of retreat. That's the whole training is to set up the conditions to be as supportive as possible. So for example, sit in a chair if you need to, or adjust your sitting posture, lie down, do whatever you need to do, set up supportive conditions, and then you're going to get what you get, <laughs> right? Right. And if we're going to fall into a struggle or a dissatisfaction, I should say, every time things don't go our way, well, in case you haven't figured it out, um, I'll clue you in on something. Sometimes you're going to get what you want in life. It's going to happen. Sometimes you're going to get what you don't want. You may have noticed that life's kind of like that. Sometimes you're not going to get what you want. Sometimes this terrible, awful thing's going to come. And And my rule of thumb is, with whatever's happening, if you can fix it, change it, then fix it, that's fine, and change it. But we also have to learn to work. You know, isn't it like the serenity prayer? I don't remember how it goes. It's something like, help me out. Accept the, thing, no, accept the, things, I cannot. Accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change. Courage Courage to change. The th- to change to change the things I can, wisdom and wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, one to go by. Right. Yeah. So, you're sitting here in meditation. Unless you choose to get up and walk out, you're going to have what comes up in the moment. And if, if rather than trying to make everything fit our own agenda... Again, it depends on the foundation of being mindfulness. If we can shift and say, okay, what was my intention here? My intention here was to learn how to bring mindfulness to the range of my experience. Say, for example, if that's your intention. Well, then it's like, it's actually giving you a great opportunity because if it's all pleasant all the time, you never get to learn how to work with the challenges. You know, how is it that we learn anything? By experience. So if you want to learn to work with the challenges, well, got to have some challenges. It's kind of the way it seems to work for most of us. So that difficult kid. So having worked at mindful schools um, and done some work, I don't go in classrooms myself anymore, but um, having had some experience in, in working in classrooms, uh, bringing mindfulness in, and watching lots of other people do it, uh, what I found is is that the people who become the most skilled, you know, in really like handling this kind of difficult situation, are the ones who've sort of been through the fire, right? And so, rather than just reacting like, oh, you know, it's it's it's, it's unpleasant. I don't like it. Yeah, you don't have to start liking it. You know, when we bring our mindfulness to unpleasant situations, it doesn't automatically become new age music and flower petals raining down from the sky. You know, your knee still hurts. But what's interesting is, and this is, I found a big shift came in my own meditation practice. This was after many years, but it was just a dramatically shifted everything when I got just as interested as my in my suffering as I was in my, uh, not just as, as, uh, as giving lip service to it, but really, as I was in my happiness, as my bliss. Changed everything. Because we start to see that everything is an opportunity. Right? I want to learn to free my mind. Just in the same way as I said earlier, uh, um, uh, now, uh, so many times, if there's a difficulty, if, if, if I notice my heart contracting or around some person or situation, Instead of like, you know, just getting caught in, it's just like, there's a place of recognition and there's a place that's like, I'm not seeking those situations, but I don't need to, you know, they find us. You don't have to go look for the challenges. They'll find you. And so when they do, I really see the uh, look for the opportunities. I try to the best I can. I do the best I can. Oh, this is a difficult situation. Is it within my limit to work with or not? Use my best judgment and then don't get pushing away or automatically, uh, uh, you know, rejecting it just because it's difficult. It gives me an opportunity sitting here when the knee pain comes, it's like, Oh, let me, let me, I'm going to move, but hang on a second. Let me just not be too quick to move. Let me see where I'm at in relationship to that. Yeah. that's still unpleasant. It hurts wow, but my mind's actually um, kind of a, is equanimous. It's a, a peace. Hmm, that's interesting, unpleasant, and I'm not suffering. It's possible. Other times, different difficult situation. Ah, okay, now time to stretch the knee. Once again, you're at work. The difficult kid or the classroom that you just, you don't know what to do. Again, you're, you're, uh, most of you, you know, so much more skilled, you know, working in the classrooms than the small amount of, ex- relatively small amount of experience. Yeah, I've got a few years going into a few classrooms. All right? But I've been in a few and really, uh, by the way, just as an aside, this is off the topic, but um, I think uh, Diana gave a lot of appreciation to the teachers last night and... Um, when we started mindful schools, we were focusing in the Oakland, mostly what these inner city, I guess they would be, I call them inner city or kind of the lowered income populations there. And some of the schools, you know, these kids are just these wonderful kids and then coming from difficult backgrounds. And it just was, you know, it it was a real shocker for me to see what they're dealing with and then what the teachers are dealing with there. And it's just like, uh, you know, difficult. So that's your daily life. You know, what are you going to do? So I'm not, you know, it's easy to sit here in the meditation hall, you know, and just say, well, it's an opportunity, and we're, you know, look, I know sometimes it's just like we're burnt out, it's hard, it's difficult, we're not getting support, or whatever, so we do the best we can. But the most we can, uh, the best we can, if we can find, just like on retreat, we find, well, what will give me the resources to be able to finish my morning of practice? And then we need to figure it out. And, it, and we want to get creative sometimes. So, you know, when you're new to practice, we want to have you, uh, we encourage you to stick with the schedule so you start to learn. And as you become more experienced, you start to learn, ah, uh, I like to actually do longer sits and shorter walks. Or for some people, what really supports me is longer walks and shorter sits. Or whatever it is for you to keep the continuity of your practice. And you start to learn what supports you. It's not always obvious. So, you're trying to bring in mindfulness in your own self, uh, uh, your inner state of mind, of mindfulness, maybe it's not so easy to find the way and we might have to be creative to get help. So that's okay. It's the intention we bring to try to find that way at least. So in the moment, it may not always be obvious and you do that. We do the best we can. it's useful to think of certain experiences. There's a list uh, called hindrances. It's a kind of a formal list in the meditation world. And I want to say something about that. I've actually been talking about it around it a little bit to label certain experiences, hindrances, because then we can know this is a, they're, they're, they're just experiences like any other, but we call them hindrances because they have a real tendency to trip us up. And so I'm going to say there's a sort of an order they're given, but I'm going to change the order around. It doesn't really matter. So the first one I'll name is, is um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll use the word aversion. Sometimes the traditional ill will or aversion. It's some kind of negativity and it's basically saying something that I don't like is happening, something unpleasant in some way. And it's like, get it away from me or get me away from it. And we're in aversion. So we're already caught in, an, in a struggle against it there. And so by, when aversion arises in the mind, that's different than the experience itself. So in the example I, I gave earlier of knee pain, Right? you may not have experienced what I'm talking about, but, uh, and if you practice long enough, you will have times as part of what cultivates and strengthens and grows. We're actually able to work with the... Actually, I'll come back to the hindrance in in a moment. There's one other piece I want to give here. One of the, the the image that I use sometime is that we are sitting in the center, uh, uh, there's a circle around us, and the circle contains anything within the circle is all the experiences for which we can be mindful and present and non-reactive and our hearts and minds can be at peace and we can bring clarity and wisdom and, and skillful action. That's everything within the circle. And then if something gets too much, it's expanded, it's outside that circle. Um, and and it's, it's like I talked before, it's, 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 it's just too much for us, right? And we all can have, um, uh, we all have an edge, right? And so one of the things that happens in practice is um, that circle using that image gets bigger and bigger and bigger to contain more and more of the experience of our lives. I haven't reached a point in my own practice uh, to where there is no edge. But I've noticed, and I think most people are practitioners, that the circle's gotten a lot bigger. And can contain a lot more. And I'm more skillful about the edges. And I'm more at peace about the places that are outside the circle. Just to recognize them for what they are. So coming back to the to using that image. Coming back to this hindrance of aversion. There are two different things going on. There's the experience itself. So we use knee pain. Maybe it's uh, stabbing or burning or pulling or tearing or, you know, it's all kinds of different sensations. Those sensations, depending on whatever the experience is, in this case it's unpleasant. Or, you know, we can have pleasant, whatever's going on, pick your example. And then there's our relationship with what's happening also, which isn't the same thing. So if I'm in some aversion with that pain, that's the place we're looking. It's not the same because we often collapse, you know, we have our experience and we don't have that wedge of mindfulness in there. And so something happens, we're just in it like this. And what mindfulness does, it gives us some space where we actually can know what's happening. So when we have some degree of mindfulness, and then we can know, oh, it's a hindrance of aversion going on. Sometimes, again, as I said before, all that's needed is just the mindful recognition. So we're here on retreat and you're, you're having trouble, say, in one of the sits, or you don't like the food, or... You didn't get the retreat you wanted. Either there's uh, not enough silent sitting because you wanted more, or there's too much silent sitting because um, you wanted more uh, tools and techniques and handouts, or so what you know, teaching and everything. It's not the right balance. maybe that's happening, or whatever it is. The person next to you, you know, um, you don't like their socks, or you know, it can be anything. Th- that happens, right? <laughs> So uh, rather than just being ad- automatically identified, we know, oh, that's that hindrance of aversion, right? And when we recognize it, sometimes that's enough and something lets go. And then we can, our hearts soften and our minds are more relaxed, we're able to be with it. Sometimes it's not enough. It's the signal. We still need that mindfulness, but as I said before, we may need to bring in other uh, skillful action. And I don't have time tonight to get into the whole range of how you might work around a version, but I'll just say it could be many different things, right? So for example, if it's around, uh, you know, something here at this at a retreat center that you don't like and you wish was going a different way, you could try out, maybe experiment with some gratitude. Say, okay, what am I grateful for here? or what is working for me? What are the things I like? And turn your mind towards the part that can make your mind more malleable and soft and, and receptive. And then turn it back towards the difficult situation. That could be one. So uh, I said, you know, my op- I take it as an opportunity to work with difficult people if, if I notice my heart is contracting Well, one of the techniques I do sometimes right in the moment, if that happens to be happening, I'll try to let go and soften. But sometimes if that doesn't work, I need to, whether it's externally, but at least internally, feel like I'm turning away and turning my attention to something that just gladdens my heart. Think of someone I really love or care about. or I look out the window and take the beautiful view and I get myself in uh, that's using some skillful action. And then, now that my, my mind is uplifted and spacious and my heart's open, now let me turn back to this person or situation or thing and see how I meet them. Sometimes it's too hard to pull ourselves out of it from within it. So we may need, this is an example, some skillful action. But first we have to know, oh, it's a, it's a hindrance. That's all. It's aversion. The opposite of that is when something very pleasant is happening and we're clinging or holding on to it. Sometimes uh, we might just call that greed. Although the word greed is kind of loaded with lots of different connotations, but it's just the wanting mind, right? And there's nothing wrong when that happens because uh, let me just ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question you don't have to answer. Anybody here trying to get um, less of what you want and more of what you don't want? things, experiences. No. It's okay. That's what living beings do. So we just want to recognize that these are patterns that just can happen. So when something that is really pleasant's happening and all of a sudden uh, the best kid that you're in love with in your class is transferred over into the other teacher who you can't stand's class... <laughs> Or, I don't know, I'm trying to make something up here, right? And you're, right? Now, you may have a multiple hindrance attack, so then you may have the aversion and the clinging or the wanting. So, you know, two two can happen at once, but we recognize that that's happening. And then what will be skillful to learn to let go around that? There's other hindrances that can happen, um, uh, especially in the retreat context, we'll talk about, uh, but, you know, it can happen in daily life too, Restlessness. Uh, uh, is one where we're, the energy's too high, right? And, um, I'll think I'll just, we could talk about that in daily life also, but for here, maybe just in the retreat context that we're trying to sit and, you know, we feel like I just can't sit still another second. I'm just too agitated. I'm going to jump out of my skin. We want to recognize it's a hindrance. Learn to, uh, you know, whatever, we'd be skillful. Maybe it means, oh, I need to be doing more exercise in the, during the breaks to help get the energy out or whatever it is. And the opposite of being too restless is maybe we're, instead of our energy too up, it's too low and it's dull. Sometimes they call it sloth and torpor. That's when you're sitting here falling asleep. And that's happened to many people here today. One of the things I do when I'm leaving the sits is, I don't know what I'm looking for, but like maybe once or twice during the sit, I open my eyes and I just take about five seconds and I just scan the room to take it in, just to kind of take the temperature of the room. I don't know what I'm looking for. You know, and you, so you don't get to see, you're sitting here looking up and I get to see. Some people are still, some people are fidgeting, some are asleep, some are, you know, everybody's just doing what they're doing, right? It's just a mix. So I know that sleepiness has come, so that's another one. And then we need to recognize it, not fall into a struggle. And then to learn, uh, well, what's skillful to help? So maybe in the afternoons, if you're sleepy, maybe you find that if you eat more protein versus carbs, it helps you. Or you get a cup of tea, or you go for a walk, or I don't know, whatever. Take a nap, whatever you need. And there's another hindrance I should mention just for completeness uh, called doubt. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's basically when our minds become our own worst enemy. Our minds are often our own worst enemies anyway, but in particular, it just undercut our confidence, our ability, and we just get identified with our attitudes and our thoughts, and we don't see that it's just a doubt. And um, that deserves probably a whole talk, maybe a whole lifetime of practice just itself. But I'm just going to name it here from now. So um, if that's up for more people, you could leave a note and there would be an offline discussion around doubt, but just to name it. So all these different forces can come up. I want to just say something about, so, you know, we've talked about just the importance of mindfulness, and then a few ways of uh, things to keep in mind in our practice uh, and how we can bring it into our, uh, our work life, our personal lives. I want to uh, name one other uh, last piece that I think is uh, very, very important. And that's the aspect of mindfulness that uncovers aspects or parts of ourselves that had been hidden So what happens as we think about it, we sit here, many people have their eyes closed. You of course could have your eyes open. We're turning our attention inward to our own inner process of our own minds and bodies. And over time, as we strengthen the mindfulness, the clarity of perception of knowing strengthens. And we become more attuned to things that they may have been unconscious, or things that perhaps weren't unconscious, but we just hadn't noticed before. And so those become more revealed. And that's a wonderful gift and an important part of what happens in this mindfulness. And then again, sometimes just that process happening on its own is enough. And just the the, the wisdom, the, the knowing of ourselves, aspects of how we act or react or what's driving us, uh, so much becomes conscious and and, and it 's enough and other times uh we it 's just the beginning of oh there 's some more work to do here. I need to explore this more or, or in so many different ways. I remember my um, uh, my wife once came back she 'd been on a mindfulness meditation retreat for about uh four months four and a half months it was just like this, but it, was only, it wasn't the teaching part. It was just sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. And so, and I didn't speak with her for the four months. And so she came back and she'd been a meditator this time, like for 20 years, and she's done a bunch of retreats. And so she came back and I said, oh, well, how was your retreat? And I don't know really if she was trying to be humorous or maybe a little humor, a little seriousness, but the first thing she said out of her mouth, she just said, just walked in the door. It wasn't high. Night. It was just, I, I, I don't know if this meditation's so great. <laughs> Already I knew a lot about her retreat, a lot of unpleasant stuff had been coming up. She didn't even need to tell me and I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I mean, do I have to feel everything? Do I have to be aware of everything? (laughs) And then she said, and this was to be humor, she says, maybe it would be better to go through life totally unconscious, automatic pilot. And the way she, you know, you don't know nothing. And then you just go through life, everything's fine, and except, you know, just before you die, maybe one brief moment of, oh, shit, and then you die, and that's (laughs) it. (laughs) Instead of this whole life of having to feel everything, and of course, uh, it doesn't... (laughs) And I think she was trying to bring some humor in, but she had had a lot of struggles and difficulties that came up, and a lot had been revealed, parts in her that maybe... And this is one of the things that can happen as we become more aware. So if you, for those of you who don't know, let me tell you ahead of time, you are gonna to come to know places of incredible beauty in you that perhaps you had no idea was there. Strengths, and anyway, so much, wholesome. And you're also going to come to know places that you maybe you didn't even wanna know was there but really you do because those forces are still working on us. And this is one of the gifts is the awareness. And we need to again, go back to what's our aspiration, what's our intention for how we want to live. And then don't we want to know the places in us that trip us up and keep us from living more authentically, more of the time, more deeply right from the place of our highest aspiration. I do, you know, I, so i 'd rather know than not know, so if we can hold that attitude um, you know it can it can really serve us and so, for example, um, when uh, say you're um, um, you 're at work, and perhaps there were things that you know you weren 't that aware of they weren 't unconscious, but maybe we just don 't notice about maybe there 's some place in Some situation, uh, for example, maybe that scares us in a certain situation with people or kids, just an example. It's a whole different thing if we come to uh, actually come to start to being aware. Wait, there's a place that that I get scared, and it's an edge for me. And then we maybe we start to reflect: What are the places where where maybe I get scared? For example, what's my edge? And then we get more interested and we can start to uh, become more skillful there, right? And not only learn the tools, but have the strength and the courage and the wisdom, uh, 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 you know, a sense of, of really a solid good sense of who and what we are to meet those situations. And we're not so scared or so reactive or, or reactive, you know, we start to realize, wow, every time, you know, this group of kids or anybody, you know, acts in this way it just pushes my buttons big time. And, and maybe you, you, you kind of did know, but you really got to become more conscious. Oh, this is an area, right? If we want to be really present with people we work with and with the kids we're trying to help, and also in our personal lives too, in any aspect of our lives, we want to really start to know these places in us. Where's my edge? What stops me from being present and open? Yeah. And come to know that. So this is a whole other piece. I'm just going to just name it for now about making, I call it, you know, making what had been maybe hidden or even perhaps unconscious. It becomes more conscious and it's an important part. And this just is part of what happens. We don't necessarily have to go digging or looking, although there may be times when we we want to do that too. I sometimes think of the strengthening of mindfulness like turning the mind into, and in both images work. A Hubble telescope or an electron microscope. You know, the Hubble opens up in sort of a big way, and the, the electron microscope and goes in. But it's just the the our level of of awareness and perception just becomes more clear and powerful and deep, uh, and and more and more, and, and, and we have to do less and less, it's more becomes more of a trait. And so it's another piece that comes uh, with the mindfulness practice is that, um, as many of you know, or practitioners. It's not that we never space out, but that stream of wakefulness carries through on its own more and more and more. And it becomes more, just more and more of the time, a quality of our being. And... So it naturally carries through and when we do uh, space out or, or go lose the mindfulness, it's, we're less deeply lost and for less time. That's sort of a general trajectory, although it can have its ups and downs. Okay. So I just want to leave you with This goes back just to something about attitudes towards ourselves. Because we undertake, you know, just the fact that you came here and showed up. You know, to me, it's a big deal. You know, like you actually got here. Conditions in your life were such that, you know, you're here. And so that says a lot. It also talks about your intention and what you want to really carve this time out in your life And so it's a beautiful intention and aspiration that's true for everyone here. There's just no question about it or you wouldn't be in the room. Sometimes mindfulness is talked about in terms of... um, you know, with something we're gaining or getting or developing or cultivating. So that's a sense of, of gaining, going somewhere. And then other times they'll use language such as nowhere to go, nothing to gain. You know, it's just being here. So it seems like we're doing two, um, two seemingly apparently opposite things at the same time, trying to get somewhere and go nowhere. But that a, a seeming contradiction disappears when we realize we actually are only doing one thing. And that is we are trying to practice in a way that naturally aims us in a certain direction in alignment with our highest intentions and aspirations. And the way we do that is to just connect the best we can just mindfully with our present moment experience and not do anything that takes us out of ourselves or away from ourselves the best we can. So the way forward is just is, is to stay here in a way. And, and and so those two things come together. And I say that uh, because we can often fall into a struggle when we realize all the ways that, you know, you hear these talks and we're talking about, it, and then we go back and, you know, we, first thing happens, we go home and we get in an argument or something or something goes wrong and we see all the ways we fall short. We can really judge ourselves. And it goes back to how to bring that self-compassion in. And so I want to leave you just with one thought that, um, um, you know, sometimes it's said, you know, we want to have judging in the sense of wise discernment. We don't want to lose that. But when we use the word judging, you know, it's the negative connotation that's the unhelpful part. That not only is it unhelpful, but it's just a suffering generator. And it's not helping anyway, that kind of critical judging place. And if those patterns are strong, it can be hard to just, you know, can say to people, well, well, stop doing that. (laughs) But maybe it's not always so easy if the mind's conditioned in certain ways. So I just want to offer, if you'll just take a moment, we're going to close in about one or two minutes, end the talk. I want to ask you to, if you're going to judge yourself, I would say, a more accurate assessment of what's true for you is not how well or poorly, good or bad, you think you're manifesting or showing up in any situation. That's just how your mind's conditioned. That's what we're working on. What speaks more deeply about you, and what's more deeply true is your intention or aspiration, right? So again, I have this aspiration, my heart doesn't close off. I don't have to judge myself because it closes off, because that's just the habit of mind. What's more deeply true is, is I don't want to live that way. So I want to, uh, and when we think about that way, it can, it can sometimes cut the legs out from under that judging mind and, we can, and it can touch us in to the good in us. And so I want to just invite you to take a few seconds and then you can, this is much too short, but you can do this more on your own. Just take a few moments and feel in to yourself, eyes open or closed, however you want. You, know, you can shift your position or not, it's up to you. And just feel in, maybe you use words like, you know, what is, I'll say it in a few ways, what is the highest intent or deepest intention you have for who you want to be, how you want to live, what you want your life to be about? Or you could say your highest aspiration. What do you really want your life to be about in the deepest sense? you may get a general sense or you may have something specific. So whatever it is for you. And then, as I said, I know that's way too short, but hopefully some sense came bubbling up. And then to end, I would invite you to really let yourself feel the goodness of of that of your sincere, wholesome, beautiful intention and aspiration and really let the goodness come in and say, you know, this really is my intention and aspiration. I know you've got all the difficult stuff in there too. That's fine, we're not denying that. But we wanna really let ourselves touch in with that wholesome place and know it, come to be familiar with it too. In the same way we wanna know the difficult places and work with them. and you need to be familiar with this. And let it see for yourself. As you really feel your own goodness, does it glad what happens? Does it gladden your heart and mind? Do you not allow yourself to feel it? Whatever happens is fine. It's just more learning. Hmm. So thank you all for your kind attention this evening we 're going to shift to a walking period now, and we 're in silence and Let me just see so it 's eight thirty excuse me it 's eight thirty now and so um, is there a bell ringer or we'll ring a bell so we 're going to have um, it sounded like, you went like this so about twenty minutes for a walking period a bell will ring maybe what five minutes or so five ten minutes we 're going to do something you just you know a bell will ring at some point and then you know, you'll get back in at some point. And okay. And then, um, uh, when we come back, uh, Betsy's going to lead us in some, uh, song music and meditation or, uh, to do a closing for the evening. So as you transition, uh, I just want to invite you to pay attention. You know, sometimes we just lose our mindfulness as we get up, notice what, how you're feeling, your experience, And see what it's like just in a relaxed way to keep that mindful knowing going as you move and you just change form. And please enjoy your walking. Thank you.